In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who calls us to put our trust in Him above all others. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it is the 4th of July weekend, and as such, I thought that I would open up my sermon with a little bit of a patriotic quote. I was um, able to find this quote on the Internet uh, recently. You, you, you may have seen it. Um, uh, it's a quote from one of our greatest presidents, Abraham Lincoln. Um, and uh, the, the quote goes, um, uh, the problem with Internet quotes is that you can't always depend on their accuracy. Abraham Lincoln, 1864, which I mean, just wow. Right. You know, maybe Al Gore invented the Internet. But for Abraham Lincoln to be able to peer into the future, even a little more than a 100 years and to be able to prophesy about how unreliable the quotes on the Internet were going to be. Golly, it makes me proud to be an American. It really does. Well, that's kind of the sense that we have with this Old Testament reading, right? This Old Testament reading, which is basically kind of an argument between the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah and one of his contemporaries, this guy named Hananiah. Jeremiah and Hananiah are at odds with one another, and because of that, they're, they're kind of having this discussion about how bad things are really going to be with the entrance of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and how, how bad that Babylon invasion and exile is going to be. And so, you have Jeremiah, who is saying that the exile is going to last for 70 years, seven zero years. And then you have Hananiah who's saying, no, 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 no. You know, Jeremiah, you're a good guy, but you've got the timeline all wrong. It's actually going to be two years. And after two years, we're going to bring back all of the stuff that Babylon has taken from us, and we're going to bring back a great king. And Jeremiah goes... I, I really wish that were the case, but I just, I can't see it. I, I have no idea how that's going to happen. It just looks like that is going to be a complete and utter possibility. But I tell you what, let's wait and see. We have a lot of meteorologists in this congregation. Our modern day prophets. And sometimes that's kind of what it feels like. It's like, well, I think there's going to be rain tomorrow. Or I think it's not going to rain tomorrow. Well, we'll wait and see. Well, and of course, we know who is right, because we don't have a book in the Old Testament named the book of Hananiah, right? We have a book of the Old Testament named Jeremiah. And it gets into that question about, well, like, who can you trust? And while it's easy for us to look back at the story of Jeremiah and Hananiah, think about the people in that time. Who do I trust? Do I trust the guy with good news or do I trust the guy with bad news? 
Do I trust the guy who says that this is going to last two years and that we're going to get everything back? Or do I trust the guy who says that it's going to be 70 years, but that's actually going to be a good thing for us? Who do we trust? Well, trusting is an important part of living as a human being. And the early Lutheran reformers definitely recognized that when they were writing the part of the Book of Concord that we're talking about today. That part of the Book of Concord is the one that probably gets the most eyebrows raised when we list off the parts of the Book of Concord. This is the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. And those books all get listed off when you are going through an ordination or an installation and... Usually, at least at my ordination, I remember somebody coming up and going, Hey, what was that business about the Pope? (laughs) Well, here's what that was all about. You see, the early Lutheran reformers weren't always Lutherans. I know. Amazing. (laughs) In fact, every single one of the early Lutheran reformers were Roman Catholics. And as good Roman Catholics, they had been raised to trust one person, sort of above all other people, or at least one office above all other offices. And that person or that office was the office and the person of the Pope. They've been brought up to trust that this person was the very vicar of Christ. This was the very vicar of Christ, the person who is standing in Christ's spot. And yet, there were problems with that. There were problems that had been going on for, well, quite some time. There's this guy named Benedict IX. Benedict IX was an interesting pope in that he during his papacy, decided that he wanted to get married. And unlike some other popes, he didn't want to do it just on the sly and kind of keep her hidden away. He wanted this to be a public thing, and so he knew that he couldn't be the pope anymore. And so he said, well, this is a great opportunity. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get on eBay, or the variation of eBay that existed at the time, and I am going to sell the papacy to the highest bidder. He did that, and then they revoked his right to actually do that. There was another pope named Urban VI. Urban VI didn't like his cardinals. Cardinals were sort of his board of elders. Didn't like his cardinals at all. And so what he said was, well, I'm going to teach those cardinals a lesson. I am going to throw them in prison and have them tortured. And Urban, being the nice guy that he was, one day wasn't hearing screams coming from the dungeon and said, I can't hear them screaming loud enough. You need to go down there and beat them harder. Nice guy, these popes. Then there was Leo X. 
Leo X, who was the Pope during the time of Martin Luther, Leo X, the guy who um, decided that he was going to sell indulgences for the sake of building St. Peter's Basilica. Another story about Leo X is that Leo X really liked to party. In fact, he spent one-seventh of his family's entire state on a party, a party that involved a young boy jumping naked out of a cake. Not only was this young boy naked, he was also painted gold. He later on died from complications of the gold paint. And these are the Pope's that these early Lutherans were being asked to trust. So you can see why they were saying, "Um, yeah, so I'm not sure. And sure, there were plenty of other popes who weren't quite as scandalous as those three guys that I mentioned. But the entire papacy, the early Lutheran reformers looked at it and they said, well, I, I just don't know that I can trust what you're asking us to trust. And the treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope specifically points out three things that the early Lutheran reformers were saying, well, we can't trust that. The first thing was that the Pope was the very vicar of Christ, instituted by God to oversee the church. Now, that doesn't sound like a very big deal, but basically what the Lutherans were saying is, yeah, you can elect whoever you want to elect. We have this order of, you know, we have leaders, we have this on the human side of things, but the Pope is not put there by God. The Pope is put there by us as the church. That was the first point. The second point was that, well, the Pope should not get involved in civil affairs. The Pope is not put on earth in order to work out the civil affairs of people. He's not put there by God in order to do that. Rather, the Pope should manage the church and manage the church well so that the church can advise and can bring life to the civil order. That was the second point. Third point was that the Pope is not necessary for salvation, which went exactly against a decree by Pope Innocent III, who in the 1300s said that in order to get into heaven, you had to get the green light from the Pope. Otherwise, when you get to the pearly gates or whatever, you don't even get to stand in line. And so the Lutheran Reformers wrote this document called the Treatise on the Power and the Primacy of the Pope. We rallied around this document and became one of our confessional documents that we said, this is something that we believe, that we should not trust this person in that way. And of course, by this point in the sermon, probably a lot of you, especially a lot of you, if you grew up Lutheran, You're having a little bit of, dare I use a German word, a little bit of that sense of schadenfreude. 
If you're not German, schadenfreude means like sort of a, a joy in somebody else's suffering, where you're like, yeah, I love those stories about the popes. I'm going to tell those to the people in my office, in my class. I am going to let them have it. But that's not the point of the sermon. I mean, history speaks clearly enough about those things. What do these things have to say about you? Who's your pope? You see, the problem that the early Lutheran reformers had with the popes was that they were trying to take the legitimate trust of the people and put it in something that wasn't trustworthy. And I think that for many of us today, and even back in biblical times, I think this is what Paul is getting at in that reading from Romans 7. I think that many of us have a pope who lives in our house, who lives in our car, who lives in our self. The pope of those sins that enslave us. that try to wrestle away legitimate power from Christ and put that in ourselves and in our sinful selves. That we end up being our own Pope. And we even do some of the same stuff that those popes of old did. We do some of the same stuff that those Lutheran reformers were reacting against. You see, we see ourselves as being put at the head of our own spiritual lives. And we will even say, well, God has put me as divine head over my own spiritual life. And so I'm going to make decisions about what is right and what is wrong. We wrestle away even the civil things and we say, well, you know, there's spiritual things and then there are other things. And, well, I'll let God have control over my spiritual things. But when it comes to the civil stuff, I'm going to be in charge of that. Thank you very much. Which is just another pope rising up in us. And here's the most nefarious one. We think that our salvation is all about us. That we need us in order to be saved. That we need to do something in order to be saved. We need to do some kind of good work or we need to at least see ourselves well. And if we don't, well then maybe we're not saved. And all of those powers that are wrestled away from Christ get abused and begin to hurt us. The early early Lutheran reformers had a problem with the Pope, not because the Pope was making power grabs, but specifically because the Pope was making power grabs away from Christ. Because that's who should be our Pope. That's who should be our king. 
That's who should be our Lord. That's the person who we should look to for our spiritual well-being. That's the person that we should even look for in terms of our secular well-being. That's the person and the only person who gets to say if we are saved or not. And he has promised us that he is not going to abuse us. Because he loves us so much that he sent his only son in order to die on the cross to show how trustworthy he is. So that we can take our primacy and our power and we can place those things in him rather than in our own popish selves. He says, make me first. Recognize my power. And I won't abuse you. I won't abuse you like a pope. I won't even abuse you like you abuse yourself. So now this week, may you stand up against the Pope in your life. And may you write a treatise against your Pope's power and primacy. And may you put those things in Christ and see how sweet life can be. Amen. Amen. Please rise.